The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, as we come out of weeks of stay-at-home orders and begin to reopen businesses, and bring our economy back to life. Tracking COVID-19 outbreaks and reporting those outbreaks in real time is critical to keeping states open, even if another wave of COVID-19 comes in the fall. State and local efforts to monitor, control, and prevent the occurrence and spread of infections and non-infectious diseases are dependent on timely, high-quality data obtained from disease surveillance. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is now required to collect additional testing information, such as demographic data, but they don't actually have the capability to process it as of yet. I was alerted to the important issue of real-time disease outbreak reporting by a health data management company called Presivia. In fact, they have helped some states better collect and make sense of testing data and are recommending that a similar system be deployed nationally. To discuss this issue uninterrupted, Presivia has agreed to sponsor this episode so there are no commercial breaks. I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Dr. Mansoor Khan, a 20-year veteran of the software and healthcare industries. He is the CEO of Presivia. Dr. Mansoor Khan is a serial entrepreneur who has been developing advanced technologies and cutting-edge software since the mid-90s. Over the years, he's led teams that have developed technology and applications for disease surveillance, artificial intelligence, quality management, analytics, care management, and cost and utilization management. 
Dr. Khan, it's great to have you with us. And you have an amazing background of successfully understanding and developing new technologies. Before we get into the details of this particular great breakthrough and how it really relates to the pandemic and COVID-19, could you just spend a minute or two and explain how did you learn to be a serial entrepreneur? It's a great achievement. Well, thank you, Newt, and it's a pleasure speaking with you. I'm not sure I can explain how I learned to be an entrepreneur. I think it's sort of been in my genes. I remember during my college days at MIT, was always trying to come up with something to do. I always wanted to have my own business, always wanted to be my own boss. And that combined with sort of the high-tech environment at MIT, it naturally led me towards the technology field. But there were many failures too. I probably tried five or six different things before my first success at e-commerce. Like most anybody else, what looks like a big success at the end is preceded by many tries that teach you what you should and should not be doing, right? There's nothing like the real world experience to learn the lessons of what works. From all of that background, you then began to really look at how we could have real-time reporting for a variety of illnesses. Talk for a minute, particularly yes. to people who are now worried about a potential second wave. Why is real-time reporting so important when you have a pandemic? When we think about how are we going to open up the economy and get people back to work and small businesses getting restarted, we really have to start thinking about how do we manage both the ongoing crisis and the second wave in the fall, which combined with the annual flu season is going to be a very confusing environment to deal with. We have to become much quicker in our responses and our responses have to be very targeted. Right now, we've been using a very blunt force kind of approach, basically shutting down entire cities, entire states and trying to get, tell everybody. And of course, it doesn't quite work that way, right? So what happens in downtown New York City or in downtown Boston or any major city is nowhere close to what happens 100 miles out in the suburban and rural areas. We have to be able to identify emerging clusters very quickly and then take actions that are focused and targeted down at the neighborhood level so that you can quickly tell where things are starting to change and then react to those changes in a very targeted way. And you actually had an ongoing relationship before the pandemic with both Iowa and Massachusetts. Is that right? Absolutely. So my previous company, Diagnosis One, we actually were building disease surveillance systems. This was in the early 2000s after the SARS and the anthrax scares. And some of the states were starting to understand that getting lab test data very quickly and in an electronic form that was standardized was very important to be able to respond. So we built some of the very first systems in the country to perform that function. And those systems are still operating in those states and they're still considered state of the art. And those systems literally connect to hundreds and hundreds of sites to collect data electronically and bring it into the epidemiology folks so that the analysis can be done very quickly. It's a capacity that we need across the board as well as when we have a period of intense disease. Absolutely. There's 80 plus diseases that are CDC called notifiable conditions and COVID-19 is just the latest in that stream. So there's an infrastructure that's needed across the country so that as any of these notifiable conditions starts to appear, 
we can quickly identify them and move on them. Now, in most cases, they appear at a much slower rate and much smaller numbers. But of course, COVID has changed that. And now on, anytime there's any sort of a new infection, the first thing is going to be, is there something that can explode and really start impacting the whole country? So an infrastructure to be able to collect data from anything that's notifiable, and very importantly, new conditions that arise to be able to react to them very quickly is critical. In Iowa, the folks in the Iowa Department of Public Health that use our system told us that when COVID-19 first came across their radar, it took them 30 minutes to create the new COVID-19 condition information rules within our system so that the system would know that data, how to grab that data, what to do with it. Typically, that can take months to weeks to do that in other systems. So, for example, the CDC in their 2021 budget justification state that they've been working on a system and they have managed to get the time down to enter a new condition into the system they have been developing from months to weeks. So literally from weeks in other systems to 30 minutes in our system, that's how long it takes to react. So why is it so hard to get the government to look after the private sector and realize you're already doing what they're spending money trying to develop? It may just be that everybody's so busy trying to fight the fires in front of them that people aren't quite thinking of how do you change the basics so that you don't have to fight the fires, you can keep them from actually lighting in the first place. In addition to reporting within Iowa and Massachusetts, what other kind of clients does Presidia have? We support hundreds of hospitals and many thousands of ambulatory practices across the country. And we got into the business of helping healthcare providers make the transition from fee-for-service to value-based care. This idea that risk for treating a patient should move from insurance companies to hospitals and doctors is at the heart of all the changes in healthcare that are happening today. And we provide tools that help the providers make that transition from fee-for-service to what's called value-based care. When you have a new client, Are you walking in with a cookie cutter or are you able to use your various tools to try to be directly responsive to what they're trying to measure? So that's one of the big strengths that we have. There's three things that anybody who makes this transition needs to do. They need to manage quality, they need to manage care, and they need to manage cost. But there are many, many different business models that the different insurance companies, including Medicare, is trying to figure out what's the best way to make this transition. You need a tool set that is highly adaptable. And one of the things that we have done is that we've been working on an AI system since 2005. So that AI system is at the heart of everything that we built. That allows a very adaptable approach to each client and to each environment and to each business model that that client is involved in. If you walk into, say, even a medium-sized health system, you're going to find that they're involved in many different models. They have fee-for-service, they are an accountable care organization, they have bundled payment, they have commercial risk arrangements, they're in Medicare Advantage, they have Medicaid risk. So to manage all of these different programs and business models is very, very tough. And typically, you might have six or seven different point solutions that they're using. And when we walk in there, we replace six solutions with our platform and bring in the AI to help manage that so that when a patient walks into a facility or walks up to a doctor, the doctor doesn't have to worry about what the business rules are. They can just take care of the patient and the system helps identify and manage those rules for them. How does the 
artificial intelligence component of this make it different from the way you might have tried to design it before we had AI? That's a really interesting question. If you look at the major IT systems that healthcare providers use, systems like Epic and Cerner and Athena and ECW, etc., these were all built in the 90s or even earlier. They were built before there was really even any realistic concept of AI. When we first started working on that, we thought we would build an AI system that could work with any EHR. It turns out that is very difficult to do because the AI needs to be at the heart of all of the data flows so that it can monitor those data flows. If it's outside the system, it's very hard for it to be able to tell what's going on with the patient. So when we started building our system, we put that at the heart of our system. So all the data flows go through the decision support engine that's at the heart of our AI system. It allows the patient's information to be analyzed in real time. And so if there are quality issues, if there are care issues around any given patient at any given point in time, the system immediately identifies those in real time and then generates alert guidelines within the system. But at the same time, it allows you to do things like take a population of patients and then risk stratify them so that you can deal with high-risk patients in a different way than you would deal with medium-risk and low-risk patients. And you can design programs. So maybe for the high-risk patients, you want to have care managers that go to the home at least once a week. They reach out to them maybe even daily. There's data coming in from home devices. But your low-risk patients, you have a less heavy-touch approach. And for the really low-risk patients, maybe you communicate with them mostly electronically and really don't dedicate any direct resources for them. So the ability to manage your resources efficiently and make sure you're not overspending where you're not getting value and you're getting rid of duplication. We talk about 30% of healthcare spend being non-value added. That's literally trillions of dollars. And so that's what the AI is really good at, is helping you identify those non-value added activities and try to get them out of the system. So it leads to a leaner and leaner and faster and faster system. Absolutely. But very importantly, a system that can deliver higher quality at reduced cost and deliver it in a way that makes the burden on the care provider less. You're gathering huge quantities of data, processing them through a system that is self-evolving as the artificial intelligence at the heart of it learns more and more about what to look for and what to deliver and how to relate things so that you're going to have an ability across all of the reportable disease states that the CDC is looking for. You'll have an ability for a hospital or a lab or a state government to provide this in very close to real time. As you said, instead of taking a week to begin to gather this up, you'll be able to do it like in 20 minutes. Is that a reasonable summary? Absolutely. The hospitals need to know that somebody shows up in an ER whether or not they're a COVID case. And if you're doing testing at the point of care, if you're going to test thousands of people in a drive-through location, you need to be able to take that data very quickly. You can't take a week after that to figure out if somebody was positive. You need in minutes to know if they're positive and then be able to quickly contact trace them to say, oh, who have you been in contact with in the last two days? And then test those people and quickly identify an imminent cluster and put a wall around it. If Presidia had been in every state on January 1, how big a difference in speed and in understanding would there have been compared to what actually happened? So I'll give you an example. Today we are doing testing in nursing homes, which is a huge concern in the country today. 
And so nursing homes do a test. They send the specimen out. In many cases, it goes to a state lab or some large lab. The lab does the test, and then typically they'll mail it back. It takes a number of days, maybe as much as a week, for that cycle to occur. If our system is in place, once the test is done, in 30 minutes or so, the nursing home would know whether that specific patient was positive or not. And if you deploy a point-of-care testing device of some sort at each nursing home, which is not that expensive to do, you would know within 20 or 30 minutes, depending upon the device, the nursing home would know. But very importantly, the epidemiology for state folks that need to react to that would know. So they could take action very quickly. You're talking going from weeks to minutes in terms of your ability to react to these sorts of events. Because the system has been deployed for years, you could literally deploy it at a national level in a week. So if the CDC said tomorrow, here's a contract, go do it, a week from now, we would have the system up and running and start connecting sources to it. Dr. Redfield at CDC testified to the House Appropriations Committee on June 4th. He said, I quote, I have states that are still collecting data on pen and pencil. Isn't it something that we could leapfrog into the 21st century pretty rapidly? Absolutely. We have been trying to get attention. There is a system. It's there. It's working. The people who use it love it. Every state in the country should have this system. This is a very solvable problem. We have a capacity to really be dramatically better, faster, more accurate, and more capable long before a second wave of COVID should hit us. But it takes the right investments and the right decision. Now, you talk about deploying a nationwide electronic laboratory reporting service. Thinking about the potential for a second wave of COVID, how much different would we be by September, October, if we truly had a nationwide electronic laboratory reporting service? The difference would be very big in a couple of areas. Once the system is deployed, your ability to identify positive cases goes up by literally orders of magnitude. We're going to have tens of thousands of locations where testing is going to be performed. So the data problem is bad now. It's going to get really, really bad. You're going to have literally millions of test results coming in to multiple places. The ability to sort through all of that data quickly, and by quickly I mean minutes, and identify what you should be focusing on, who you should be focusing on, where you should be focusing on, is going to make a day and night difference. If I know that this person at this time that was tested was positive, and within the next half an hour, I have a list of the people that they have been in contact with over the last two days, or whatever time period we select, then my ability to quickly zero in on those folks, quarantine a small number of people, and not have to shut down half the city is going to make a huge difference in terms of the impact that it has on people. And that's really what it's all about in the end, right? This is not about technology. This is not about money. It's about people's lives being disrupted, small businesses being destroyed. So the ability to keep the country from another shock, that ability is going to be critical should we hit a second wave. Because we were faced with the intensity of COVID-19, we're going to have real breakthroughs in healthcare. We've already had it, for example, with telemedicine. We're almost yep. certainly going to find a way to get to real-time reporting. And there are a whole range of these things that would probably have taken another generation to get to, but the sheer pressure of the current situation is going to lead us to innovate. 
absolutely, healthcare is now changing in a way that it's not going to go back. People are getting used to virtual healthcare. Doctors are getting used to it. Systems are getting used to it. And one of the things that we noticed through this was that the old fee-for-service model really took a hit. So I think it's also going to accelerate this transition from fee-for-service to value-based care. And that's going to have a huge impact on our ability to deliver better care for lower costs as we go forward. And as you know, healthcare cost is one of the key drivers of the financial issues we're going to face over the next decade or so. Well, listen, thank you very much. I think this has been an extraordinarily informative conversation. And I think that hopefully it's going to be a step towards us developing the kind of nationwide electronic lab reporting system that will really make a huge difference if COVID does come back. Thank you, Newt. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you to my guest, Dr. Mansoor Khan. You can read more about real-time data reporting of COVID-19 and Presidio's technology on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers, and our producers are Garnsey Sloan and Joe DeSantis. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. Please email me with your questions at gingrich360.com slash questions. I'll answer them in future episodes. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.